Good afternoon. May it please the court, counsel. I'm here today representing the appellant, Johnny Haynes. Can we just start with um, any comment you have on the remedy regarding the uh, multiplicitous, uh, the government's suggestion that we that we remand? Um, of course, well, there. I would tend to agree with the government that we should remand the case for resentencing. Um, but our, our reason is because we believe that the, the sentence was greater than necessary under 3553. Um, but I, I believe that the, the, re the proper remedy at this time procedurally would be to make that motion directly to the district court. Um, and we could entertain it at, at that time. Um, other than that, we, we don't have an opinion on it. But to kind of get right in. Wait, wait a minute, hold on. Wait, you have no opinion on whether or not it was proper to uh, to sentence on both counts of conviction when one's a lesser included offense? Well, I, I don't believe one of them is a lesser included offense. I think they're just both variations on the same. Um, the the convictions were um, for violation of 922G, right. um, possession of ammunition and firearm. And we've said that you can't be convicted on both of violating double jeopardy, right? Correct. Okay. And, and you have no opinion on that? I mean, he's My been convicted on both. I mean, clearly, you know, you know, the question really is, is should we find, you know, one or both convictions unsupported by the evidence? Um, or if, or should we just say, hey, vacate one? I would say vacate one, but I would say vacate two. Right. See, that's I'm getting that's that's where you're at. That's where you know, I'm at. Uh, you know, but you're saying, but you would, you, it would be indisputable to you that we're at least going to have to send this back uh, so that he's only been sentenced on one of the two counts. Correct, Your Honor. All right. But but they're concurrent sentences. I assume you would. I, I was looking for whether you had an opinion as to whether there there's a resentencing issue left, or whether we can just say vacate one or vacate two or vacate one or the other and. And you know, and then the, and then it follows that there's that there's no sentencing relief from that remedy. Well, the I thought you might say no that you should reopen the concurrent 115 month sentences just because of the multiplicity. Well, my my opinion would be procedurally, if we were back at the district court with this issue, then the the district court could make that that determination. Um, perhaps based on, on the court vacating one of the convictions here but, for But if we don't evidence. vacate the judgment in its entirety, yeah. then there's still a sentence. I mean, he can't just go back and, 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 um, and, uh, and, and our Judge Wright can't just go back and resentence, right? I mean, you got to vacate both. Now, you can make some argument like there's a sentencing package doctrine that we usually apply uh, in the government's favor, but, you know, you can say it works for us, too. It's, it was a whole package, and, you know, that uh, it, it might matter, and so you should vacate the whole thing, let the judge uh, resentence, um, you know, because... The insufficiency of the evidence, uh, the moving an interstate commerce issue, if that's the decisional point, that seems relatively, uh, uh, um, uh, tied to the possession of the firearm itself because the, the spent rounds in the, in the matching casings are, you know, they moved in interstate commerce. That's just not part of the dance on that count. 
Sure. So the interstate commerce argument primarily relates to the gun count. True. Um, and the, the insufficiency of the evidence as it relates to the ammunition just has to do with the fact that, unfortunately, North Minneapolis is covered with spent casings, um, mostly also from this 9-millimeter Luger round. Um, that's the most common ammunition that we see out there. And so, of course, if we're going to find ammunition on the ground, it's probably going to be that. There's commerce evidence on the, on the face of the casings. If those if those casings they say Luger, have they if, say Luger right and correct have, your honor if those if those casings have to do with the weapon that that my client allegedly discharged then that's the nexus correct we have a video and we have you know because everything's got to be viewed in a light most favorable to the of to the verdict right and so you've got you've got the video you've got the location of the shells which appear to be matching uh, you've got the jury getting to decide whether that's your guy or not your guy um, and once the jury draws whatever reasonable inference says aren't we bound by all that I mean but Obi says the government has to prove on an ammunition charge well they you've got to prove that that uh, the ammunition came from a from a gun that that was fired and when the defendant was possessing it. Correct, Your Honor. And and we did review Obi, um, and the court's rationale in there makes good sense. But the facts are a little bit different there, um, be, and and significantly, the ammunition in that case was not all over one of the most um, frequent sites for gunfights in North Minneapolis. Um, the, the, and there were, I believe, in your that's case. A jury question. Well, in, in in the Obi case, also I believe uh, the the firearms expert testified that they knew that these were new casings because one of them was actually just sitting upright, like it was like a brand new casing. Um, in our case, we have that the testimony is like it probably is not old. Um, and maybe it's been there for a while, maybe not. It's not conclusive. It's not. We know for sure that these spent shell casings are the ones that came out. Nobody could tell you that. Nobody testified to that, notably. Um, so the, the evidence is, is certainly much stronger as it relates to this firearm, where in, in, a, in essence, I think we had a situation similar to... Uh, uh, we know that Santa Claus, we, our, our, our expert witness, our star cooperating defendant says it was Santa Claus who did it. And the department, of, the department goes out and the agents talk to all the elves, um, but do not have any interest in talking to Santa Claus himself. Um, that's what this is. We have our cooperating witness identifying a 919. Ship, ship said he fired the gun, right? And the video was it corroborated that. At the, and then, um, you know, the 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 circumstantial timing evidence is seems to me pretty uh, it is strong enough that it's very hard to, for an appellate court to reverse this ver that verdict on the o on the OB issue. Yep, the the and that the, it's a high standard. We we acknowledge that it's a high standard. Um, we would defer. The, as to the issue of how we should deal with the multiplicity of counts, um, it would depend on how this court rules on the issues before it that, that were raised in our brief, and, and we would rest on those arguments. Um, well, I guess if, 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 the, if the insufficiency argument, including denial acquittal, right? to me that's two sides of it. Exactly. Probably one coin. And the, then you've got a substantively unreasonable sentence. Uh, if we're not persuaded by those arguments, it seems to me on the multiplicity that the 
logical thing for us to do would be to say we, we, we remand with instructions to vacate one of the two counts and otherwise affirm. Now, if you don't like the, if you have a problem with the and otherwise affirm in that situation, that is, we've rejected your, your main appeal, your other issues, I, I'd, I'd like to hear that. In other words, if you think there's some reason that just the multiplicity might open up a, 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 for example, might open up a sentence that is otherwise not substantively unreasonable. I think a, a lot of it has, well, it has to do with how the court will resolve this, but I'll note that the co-defendant here was only sentenced on the second count, the ammunition count. He was acquitted or the, the first count was dismissed, the gun count. Um, and part of the reasonableness of the sentence um, had to had to do with perhaps we don't know. I, 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 the judge didn't make this particular determination at sentencing, but maybe it did matter to the judge that there were both counts for for Mr. Haynes as compared to only the one count from Mr. Ship. So just to simply merge it um, may not be enough. We would ask that that the court you would you would, you would argue argue us not to do the and otherwise affirm potentially. Yeah. Okay. Well, that seems to me that. I thought that you would probably come, come there and I... <laughs> Be noncommittal to the court. I apologize. No, I think... Um, well, you, you don't want to be noncommittal because otherwise you're going to get the... I mean, if we don't think that it's a substantively unreasonable sentence and we just remand, uh, it, it dismiss one count, your client's going to sit for the same amount of time and you have like an absolutely pyrrhic victory. Uh, whereas if you say it's all part of a sentencing package and the judge might have viewed the case differently. I think I think the judge may have, Your Honor, just, just looking, because we do have a co-defendant who was sentenced to significantly less. Obviously, the offense conduct is different, um, but significantly less. Um, so I think that may have mattered. Um, so I, I would like to at least have that left open for the for the trial court. I think it usually, there's often, as Judge Erickson says, you know, sentencing, packaging, and other issues yeah. mm -hmm. that, that can be triggered by uh, this kind of multiplicity or uh, lesser included offense problem. Correct. Okay. Thank you. May it please the court. Counsel. Good afternoon, Your Honors. Ms. McCauley. David Genrick on behalf of the government, and I would start where uh, the court has directed most of its inquiry, which is the remedy with respect to multiplicity. The government's position is that um, should this court affirm with respect to the verdicts and the substantive reasonableness of the sentence, that the matter uh, should be sent back to vacate one of the counts of conviction in the accompanying sentence, but not to reopen for a full resentencing. For legal authority... Precluded is the question. Precluded. You preclude resentencing. And, and why, was, why is that? For, for legal authority, Your Honor, the, the, uh, several of the cases discuss this from, the, from this circuit, but certainly the Grimes case is, is on point and cited in the government's brief. And in Grimes, the defendant in a double jeopardy violation um, on multiplicity analogous to this one in a 922G context asked that the court and in fact argued that it required us, you, to remand the case to the district court for resentencing. This court said that it disagreed, however, because the sentences for the counts were run concurrently and cited a case um, to, for this proposition in parenthetical. We do not perceive any need for resentencing due to the similarity of the offenses involved. 
Notwithstanding defense and the court's inquiry about um, whether the fact that in this case he was convicted both of the gun and the ammo and Mr. Shipp pleaded guilty only to the ammo, uh, there's no evidence in the record with respect to the district court's rationale for its sentence that it relied on the fact that he was convicted of two counts versus one or simultaneous possession of both the gun and the no, ammo. The question, no, the question is that if, if the district court had known that it, could, it was only convicting on one sentence, particularly whether it's, whether it's the gun or the ammunition, when the co-defendant cooperator who has been convicted of only one gets a significantly lower sentence, which is not substantively unreasonable, and you know unless they're truly similarly situated, but would the court have been persuaded or influenced not to go all the way to 115, which was what almost the top of the range is? Your Honor. And why why should we why should we preempt the district court uh, from um, uh, giving that some thought? Your Honor, the record here in the government's estimation reflects that that was was not and would not be a consideration for the district court. And here's why. Yeah, counsel, Judge Kobus, why not let the district court confirm that? I mean, it'd be a simple matter. I guess I'm wondering. I understand you're taking the position you're taking, but I don't see the harm in it. Judge Kobus, I think that's fair. I'm not suggesting that the district court isn't capable of that. And if this court wants to defer to the district court to ensure that that's not a consideration, um, I, I can't rule out categorically that the district court uh, would say it, w- it wouldn't consider it because it didn't make a record on that. But I well, think is, is, there any, is there any authority that would prohibit us from doing that? No. You, you know, even there's even though that's true. We do have the sentencing transcript, and we do have what uh, Judge Wright talked about, and it seems pretty clear that uh, she talked about the defendant's upbringing. She talked about the defendant's um, experience and life factors. Um, she talked about the fact that he'd spent 20-plus months in a county jail, which was harder time than doing it within the Bureau of Prisons. She talked about his criminal history. She talked about... Um, the uh, circumstances of the offense. And it looks like the driver, sort of aggravating driver, was really the circumstances of the offense. This was during daytime hours that the neighborhood was occupied, that uh, multiple shots, at least a dozen, were fired, uh, and that uh, round was, you know, went through a window and they, you know, look, everybody put in front of the, the jury, the judge, and everyone else the photograph of the bullet passing through the window, uh, and there are children sitting in that place, uh, and that that's the real driver. And so it seems to me the real question on the whole, uh, should we send it back or not, is there evidence in this record from which we could determine that it's an open question? Or are we to look at this record and say, you know, I don't think she cared whether it was the gun or the bullets, possession of whatever. Uh, the real driver in this case was his criminal history and the aggravating circumstances of the shooting. Your Honor, I think that's an excellent summary of the record in the district court's uh, rationale with respect to its sentence. I don't think there's any suggestion, implication, even a shadow of a, uh, of a nod to the notion that the fact he was convicted of both the gun and the ammo made any difference to the district court. Now, to Judge Kobus's question and, and Judge Loken's question, 
this court would have the discretion to remand for resentencing if it wishes. And there's nothing explicit in the record from Judge Wright saying, if he'd only been convicted of one, my sentence would be different. But there, everything the court cataloged, Judge, you cataloged Judge Erickson, is accurate as to what the district court relied on, on. And none of that depends on whether the defendant was convicted of one or two counts. The, the court sentenced concurrently. If the, if the court felt that one or the other was, um, was a plus factor, it, it could have sentenced consecutively. And importantly on, on Mr. Shipp, First of all, procedurally, Mr. Ship's in a different place because Mr. Ship pleaded guilty to one of two counts and the government dismissed the other. Happens every day, of course, and nothing can be inferred from that about, uh, about the nature of the, the offense conduct. Secondly, in the factual basis of Mr. Ship's plea agreement, he admitted that he handed Mr. Haynes a loaded firearm. So there's no question on the facts of Mr. Ship's case that the district court understood that Mr. Ship was also in possession of a handgun, not just ammunition, the very handgun that was used by Mr. Ship, uh, Mr. Haynes, on the streets of North Minneapolis. So from a relevant conduct or a, a factual predicate basis, Mr. Ship admitted to possession of the handgun as well as the ammunition. The fact he pleaded only to one, of course, uh, did not and would not prohibit the district court from considering the possession of the handgun and sentencing Mr. Ship, who had a number of other distinguishing characteristics. So I don't think Mr. Ship's procedural posture nor uh, distinguishes him in terms of the district court's consideration. And in well, fact, frankly, this what troubles me is we stress the substantial sentencing discretion that district courts have. Obviously, in the hypothetical we're, we're debating, we've already concluded and explained why it's, the 115 months is not substantively unreasonable. But does this... Would this, in the district court's perception, uh, change this this lack of this two count only one count instead of two, and having maybe considered the two as two different offenses, and you're getting a break to only get 115 months? It, isn't it prudent under the Booker Gall jurisprudence? Um, to give the court a chance to go up or down on that. Well, let me approach it from a different direction, not abandoning the arguments uh, I've already submitted, Your Honor. And that is, um, there are at least four cases, and they're all cited in the government's brief, where on a a multiplicity um, uh, record, that this court's language is, this court remands to vacate on one of the two counts of conviction and the accompanying sentence and maintain judgment as to the other. In each of those cases, and certainly Grimes, which, which this court addressed directly, whether it should be rebanded for resentencing or merely to vacate, this court has chosen to order vacate only. So if the, if the court's position... At least one of those panels. I looked on Grimes, Your Honor, and you were not, but um, perhaps on one of the others. Um, on the receiving end of one of those. <laughs> <laughs> if if to the if we adopted the reasoning that a district court should always, and I'm not suggesting that's the court's position, but it can't be the the case well, I, that we always well, give a I district think the court. Point is not what, what crosses my mind is don't remand for resentencing. Correct. But don't preclude the court revisiting this. Let's put it that way. Um, the 115 months. Versus just say otherwise affirm. 
I would say that it's two, two things which are largely reiterative. One, this court's precedent recognizes that vacate without that option that you've just outlined is an appropriate remedy, not the exclusive appropriate, but an appropriate remedy. And nothing in this case distinguishes it from those other cases. And secondly, on the particular record in this case, there's no indication that the district court would have sentenced differently based on, on a single count of conviction. Thank you very much, Your Honors. Thank you. Sir. All right, I, I think I'm out of time, Your Honor. Yes, and, and I, I appreciate the, the candor and helpfulness of both counsel on, on, this, on this issue, which uh, just struck me as um, not self-evident. Um, and uh, so I think argument was definitely worth having, and uh, you've briefed and argued well. We'll take it under advisement.